Good morning and welcome to Talk of Our Towns. <laughs> um, I'm your host, Donna Quinn, and for the next half hour, we'll be talking um, uh, to uh, my guest today, William Dean. William Dean Bill is an award-winning writer and editor. He's had a lengthy career as an investigative journalist before becoming a novelist. He moved to Astoria a year ago, and during the pandemic, he wrote Dangerous Freedom, a suspense novel, his first in Astoria, it's set in Astoria. And we're going to hear about that, the other book he's working on, what it's like to be an Astorian. Good morning, Bill. Happy to be on the show. Hi, Donna. Hi. Well, thanks to Zoom, we're able to see each other, although um, I bet after this program and you've been profiled in the Daily Astorian that people are going to be walking around town, see you walking around downtown, say, hey, Bill, hi, you know. Anyway, um, Bill, tell us about your, your background, your history, where you were born and how you became an investigative journalist and now a novelist. Well, I uh, was born in Brooklyn, New York, and my family moved out when I was in kindergarten, and my, my dad got a teaching job in California, and we all came out west, and I was raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, went to journalism school. Um, I was one of those people that was inspired by Wood Woodward and Bernstein back in the day, um, and uh, I went and started working for um, daily newspapers. And I spent 30 years in news um, doing a lot of investigations, both as a reporter and later an editor. And we were talking about journalism. So what is your definition of uh, an investigative reporter as opposed to a journalist or a reporter? Let's just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So when I started my career, there were no, at the papers I worked for, there were no investigative reporters that were full-time investigative reporters. These were smaller newspapers initially. And you, if you wanted to do investigations, you did it on your own initiative off your beat. And so I had that mindset and I just wanted to expose as much corruption as I could and malfeasance. And I, I was just sort of always investigating tips and allegations of misconduct. And so I did it sort of on the side, off my beat. And uh, it sort of was an addiction. I just really, really enjoyed getting that information out to the public. So in a way, you're you're were functioning as a bit of a detective. I mean, you 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 had a story, and you said there's more to this story. I have an in, intuitive feeling, and so I'm going to investigate further. And so you started out in San Francisco, and then did, is that when you went to Seattle, and then to the Statesman? I went to um, I worked in a couple papers in Northern California, then went to the Idaho Statesman in Boise, where I was covering courts there, and that's where I met the protagonist for Dangerous Freedom. Um, and uh, from there, I went to Spokane, and from there, I became an editor at the Seattle Post Intelligencer, and I was there for a decade until they closed the newspaper, and then I was forced to sort of migrate, and I went to Florida. Jacksonville, and then up to Newsday on Long Island. So I kind of came full circle back to New York and was there for eight or so years, and I retired from Newsday. 
And so you retired from Newsday last year. And what made you choose Astoria, Oregon as your new home? <laughs> well, yeah. So I actually, I retired in order to start writing books. It was a, a dream of mine to do that. And so I launched basically a second career. And I, I meanwhile, in between, a grandson was born. And that, and that grandson is in Seattle. And that became a huge magnet for me. Um, and so I knew I was going to the West Coast. The question was going to be, where was I going to put down roots? And I got to tell you, I, see, see, since I grew up in the Bay Area and worked in Seattle, I came through a story uh, several times, many times, actually. Drove through, stopped sometimes. It was, it was sort of this raw-boned fishing town uh, back in the day. And I always thought it was beautiful with these gorgeous homes up on the hills but I never thought it was a place for me. I needed a, a place with art, an art vibe to it, uh, that, a creative energy. And, uh, but I came back not that long ago uh, when I was visiting Portland and I was blown away by Astoria. The, the Astoria of today is a marvelous, inspiring place. So that's why I picked Astoria. I was the downtown is so alive now. The, the arts community is so amazing. And I just fed off the inspiration that I received when I, and I lived downtown. So I just sort of plugged into that and it just fueled my imagination. Well, that's great. And what, of course, all of us who love Astoria and appreciate it, uh, obviously we're hoping that we are continuing to hold on to that gritty authenticity that being a fishing town brings. And uh, so that it is a place where local people, you know, are rooted in the community. And, and we've talked about the way to really become an historian is to find something uh, that you want to volunteer with, you know, that and, and become part of the community. And I know that that's something that's important to you. And, uh, you know, whether it's in the arts or, you know, uh, the historical society, there's so many ways to help make the community better that you live in. And, um, and you're actually also, you're gonna continue writing in a little different way. It has to do with something that you actually really love in Astoria uh, that has something to do with hops, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, I, uh, I, I'm a big a craft beer aficionado. I'm, I'm not a snob. I just have always loved craft beer. And, um, you know, one of the drawing cards for Astoria is the fact that per capita, I don't know, there's at least four breweries here, maybe five, um, and they're all marvelous. And I, um, I pitched to the local paper a column, a monthly column uh, on craft beer, and they, they surprisingly said yes. So I'm going to be starting a craft beer column that I'm tentatively calling the Thirsty Growler. All right. And it's not a review. It is just, it's a little, we're going to learn more about, about craft beer, I guess, right? Craft beer and the people that make them uh, kind of get to know them and share some of their stories with the readers and uh, what are the trends, what are we likely to see coming up and so on. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm not a reviewer, but I'm a good describer. So I'm going to introduce beers to people. All right, that's exciting. And that's going to be starting pretty soon. So you've already kind of, again, you know, made, uh, you know, some connections in the community so that you can continue doing what you're doing. 
And um, I, I want to ask again a little bit about this this idea about journalism and and investigative reporting and and sometimes I mean does the means justify the end? Does the end justify the means? I mean there are uh, you said in one of the uh, press releases about your book it talks about a righteous crime and uh, so what are your feelings about about that? Um, you know, it's it's interesting. So in the book, um, the the protagonist has to decide whether he's going to risk going back to prison uh, to and to commit a crime that he thinks is morally justified. But it's but it's still a crime. It's a very bad crime, and uh, I don't want to give away too much. But uh, it's a it's a moral quandary, and he has to decide. And and I kind of think I hope that readers will give that some thought as they read the book um, and maybe afterward. Uh, that, so I, there are many choices that we make that, that we think um, are obvious to us, but they, but they have consequences. And this is just one of those, one of those tough decisions. Yes, I think that we, uh, we try to put ourselves into this person's shoes and say, wait, you know, would I, what would I do? This seems like the, is that the right thing? Or is that the, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? To try to know sometimes in, in each circumstance, it's not all just black and white. And, um, and, and you wrote this book during the pandemic here in Astoria. You also finished the second book, The Ghosts We Know, which will be published uh, at the end of the year. Um, but, but now we have Dangerous Freedom Out. We're going to talk more about that. But um, you said that you are not writing books, novels, suspense novels in particular, to get rich, to make money, that you want to give whatever you earn away to worthy causes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, I, I guess I'm blessed in that I don't need to sell books to pay the rent. Um, I don't need to sell books to, to eat, feed myself. Um, so my motivation has never been to have a bestseller. Uh, my motivation is not to make money. My motivation is to have as many people as possible read the books and enjoy them. And so with Dangerous Freedom, when shortly after it published, I gave away the ebook for a period of time and nearly 2,000 people downloaded it. Um, and I was overjoyed by that. I didn't make a penny off of that, but I, I was so happy that readers were finding it, downloading it and hopefully enjoying it. And that's kind of what my, it kind of, that's my mindset is to, you know, the prices of the books are as low as I can make them without them seeming like they're, they're not excellent. You know, <laughs> there's a, yes. stigma. If I was to sell the, the paperback for a dollar, people would never touch it. They would think it's, oh, it can't be good, you know? So, so I charge a, an average price, but, um, but, you're, but you know, it's not about, it's never been about money. It's about stories and sharing the stories. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about how uh, the protagonist for your book, Dangerous Freedom, actually changed the system, the legal system in Idaho. But um, I do want to say that you have uh, given a copy of Dangerous Freedom to Jimmy Pearson at our library in Astoria, that you've 
met Lisa at, at Lucy's books and they're going to have the books and Godfather's. I mean, so obviously support your local bookstores, but it is also available online. And maybe one of these days you'll do a book signing uh, downtown. And, um, and I would like to also ask you about how long you had this idea to write Dangerous Freedom and then what sparked you to start it when you moved to Astoria? Uh, good question. Uh, so when I was a reporter in Boise, um, I encountered Bud, um, the uh, the protagonist of my story. He was, uh, his name, his real name was Walter Bud Bala. And he was a jailhouse lawyer and he was incarcerated at the Idaho State Penitentiary. And he was serving a long indefinite sentence for armed robbery. And um, he had a, he only had a high school education and yet he turned himself into a amateur lawyer that was, he, he studied, he, he learned the process. He filed a class action lawsuit in federal court on behalf of all his fe fellow inmates that stunning everybody, he won. And, a, and it put the state of Idaho's prison system under a federal order to alleviate overcrowding and, and, and other things for 25 years and that just lifted. So he it, was a, it was a landmark prison, prisoner rights case. And it's just this guy, this unassuming guy that I interviewed for a profile behind bars. And I, he always stuck with me. Uh, I knew someday I'd write about him, and um, and I kept his nickname. He is Bud in my book. The fictional Bud is in my book, and the his his story behind bars is is pretty much true in the book. But then he winds up instead of going immediately to Alaska after he gets released, he goes to Astoria, and so that's where that's where the book sort of takes off. All right. Well, we're going to hear we're going to hear something from the book in a, just a minute or two here. Uh, one of the uh, reviews that just came out of your book says uh, dangerous freedom is a page turning suspenseful read that will keep you thinking about the story well after you finish reading. And and that's what you said you hope. It's not just uh, it's a it's suspenseful. It's a, it's it's entertainment. But you're hoping that it also, uh, you know, tickles the brain cells and and makes us say, well, huh, what would I do in that situation? Maybe. Yeah, I um, yeah, I, uh, I'll always try to create the uh, these great action sec sections of the books. Uh, I just love writing that. I, I think suspense is just so fun to do. And um, so really the second half of the book is sort of nonstop action as, as he's being hunted by all sorts of things. Right. I'm trying well, not to say too much about the second. No, 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 that's right. Okay, well, uh, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Talk of Our Towns. I'm your host, Donna Quinn, and today my guest is William Dean, Bill Dean. He is a an historian. He moved here last year from the East Coast. He's an award-winning writer and editor. He's had a lengthy career as an investigative journalist before becoming a novelist. And he's the author of two suspense novels. Dangerous Freedom is now out. There's a copy at the Astoria Library and you can get one at our local bookstores or order online. 
and he will be publishing The Ghosts We Know later this year. Um, Bill, let's talk about Dangerous Freedom, and why don't you just read us a little bit from the book, please? I'd be happy to. Uh, this uh, page I'm going to read is, um, it's in Astoria. He has just arrived in town. He uh, had just gotten released from prison in a very surprise move. He's uh, on the waterfront, and he has no job, no money, and no place to stay. And yet, this is typical Bud. He's, he's sort of, you know, upbeat about it all. And so it begins on the waterfront. By then, it was midday, and Bud's stomach was growling. He walked over to a riverside restaurant called Moe's and ordered a cup of clam chowder and bread to go. His meager savings continued to shrink. He returned to his sea lion viewing spot and devoured his meal using his fingers to wipe the last creamy drops off the styrofoam soup container. Bud watched couples hand in hand walking along the boardwalk. An egret perched nobly on a chunk of driftwood ignoring the swooping seagulls. The sun had broken through the morning fog, warming his cheeks and turning the river a deep blue. His adrenaline-like euphoria over getting out of prison had dried up, but the pleasant scene raised his spirits. An old song about a man sitting alone on the San Francisco waterfront after a long trek from Georgia popped into his head. He began to whistle, just like in the song. That's good, a voice from behind said as he finished. Otis Redding, Dock of the Bay. You're right, Bud said, turning around. It was a pretty woman in a, in a pink wool coat, matching scarf wrapped loosely around her neck. She had twinkling sea green eyes. Her wavy red hair was blowing in the breeze. She looked like a mermaid, Bud thought. 1968, she asked. I took a rock appreciation class in college. Think so. I was always confused by the whistling part. It seemed too happy for such a sad song. You're wrong about that. It's not sad. The woman frowned, wrinkling her freckled nose. It's about a lonely, depressed man. It's practically suicidal. Or a man who fell on hard times, eager to start over. That makes it hopeful. The woman smiled, a lovely, captivating smile. She seemed to know Bud was talking about himself. That's it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's interesting how sometimes people wind up in places without resources and then they are they are forthcoming. And we don't always know how that is going to work out, you know, but it's I guess, you know, someone once told me there are two ways that you look at life, uh, two different attitudes. One is somebody who says, oh, life is a battleground and I got to fight and conquer, you know, every day. And the other one's like, ah, oh, life is like, uh, there's a, it's a benevolent, the, the universe is benevolent and things will happen. You know, if I, if I put out good energy, do good things, then good things will come back. So, so you, so the bud, the original bud, you modeled your protagonist after he was a very uh, positive, upbeat person. He was, he was uh, amazingly so um, after spending half his life in prison. And, you know, I do want to mention one thing that we had talked about before uh, going live this morning, and that is that if a person is a journalist, whether they're investigative or even just doing, you know, uh, not as much in-depth journalism, 
and they're always working with the with things like crime and and poverty and all that it can be i would think very depressing and so how how do you view that if if a lot of your world and your work world in particular has to do with people who are who are struggling well i, I it is it can be depressing um I, uh, and it seems a bit hopeless sometimes, but then again, journalism done right um, exposes these problems so they could be fixed, so they could get attention. Um, and so that is the, that is the motivation. Um, address the problems, let inform the public so they know, and once the public is informed, hopefully their leaders will enact reforms, will make improvements, um, that's the hope. That's what keeps you going. And and uh, we talked about the fact that you have this this history of writing. However, it's different from writing a suspense novel. But really, in a way, some of the larger investigative pieces you did, you said were a little bit were suspenseful in and of themselves. <laughs> they were. I mean, when you do a long investigative piece and you're breaking it into what I consider chapters, although they're, they're sections. Um, I always approached it almost as a, as a short novel in a way, um, a true, true novel, uh, if there is such a thing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the, you know, there's a lot you can do, especially like um, non-investigative stuff, profiles, long profiles, which I did a few of those as well. Those read just like chapters in a book. Mm -hmm. They really do. So Dangerous Freedom is out now. And, um, and it's inspired by your prison interviews with jailhouse lawyer uh, William Bud Bala. But let's now uh, talk. So we know that's out. That's set in Astoria. And let's now hear about the book, which is going to become available at, uh, at the end of the year, The Ghosts We Know. Where is that set? And what's that story about? That's set in a fictional small Oregon town that is uh, very much like Astoria, and uh, especially in a neighborhood, a very tight-knit neighborhood up on a hill that is built around a playground. And the playground at the start of the book is a very happy place, but a child predator moves into the area and uh, sort of terror and panic ensues and the story is about this unlikely friendship between these two older men who were both veterans and they form a, a friendship and and team up to try to find out who this predator is and and help the police capture him and uh there's a lot of suspense and action in the in this book but um hopefully people will be sort of captivated by this friendship between these two men. Well, it's in, and you said it's not a new story, but it stems from your, your father's unusual friendship with a German man who was his caregiver and companion, and they both fought in World War II on opposite sides. That's right, that's right. And I observed them in real life uh, at their uh, retirement community in California and um, watched them and, and just listen to their byplay, and uh, that became the inspiration. Um, I just was amazed that these two men who are very different would become such close friends. 
Mm. And so you've joined the Astoria Writers Guild and uh, Literary Arts in Portland, and uh, and you're really um, just really settling into Astoria, and and you have an idea for another book which you're going to be working on too. And we're kind of um, running out of time. We just have a few minutes left. So any any other things that you'd like the listening audience to know, either about you know investigative journalism or about craft beer or about dangerous freedom or the ghosts we know? Uh, anything you'd like to say to the listening audience? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so I would hope that people will check out my books um, and give me feedback. Um, good or bad, uh, doesn't really matter. Uh, feedback is feedback. And um, I do, if you go to my website, which is williamdeanbooks.com, there's a, there's a way to just email me directly via the website. Um, and um, I want everyone to know I'm gonna be out there in the community more and more. Um, you know, as it is, I'm, I'm always walking around downtown enjoying the beautiful area, and um, I hope to meet people and do art art events, uh, author readings if possible, book signings. I hope to do all of that stuff, and really just so I can meet people. Um, uh, this has been a really long pandemic, and I feel like I've been self isolating for months, but I really am eager to get out and about. Well, yes, and I think that. Um that local, that, you know, Astorians, whether NBAs or ABCs, and everybody hopefully is an ABC, Astorian by choice, um, that they will be, you know, welcoming. I, I think one feedback you'll probably get, Bill, is that Astorians don't ever call it the boardwalk, it's the river walk. <laughs> but that's an East Coast term, the boardwalk, we think about that. But right. uh, so you'll get you. I'm sure you will get a lot of opinions. This is an opinionated community, but and that's what gives it. You know, it's exciting. I mean, and but I think there's also a lot of respect because, you know, uh, I heard an economist interviewed on Freakonomics the other day, and he just said, you know, we just need to be kind to each other and not live in a culture of contempt, which. Um, which he feels we are living in now. So, you know, we, so, so we can laugh about it and say, oh yeah, okay, you call it a boardwalk, we call it a riverwalk. Okay, what about this or that? And, and take things more lightly. Not, it's not everything, we don't need to fight about everything. Let's try to be kind and, and peaceful and, and lose the contempt. So anyway. I, <laughs> I completely agree with that sentiment. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> anyway, well, Bill, uh, thank you so much for making time um, to uh, to do this interview today. There'll be a podcast of this up later. And uh, again, you know, you now will be on the local uh, bookshelf of the library and then at the local bookstore. So uh, William Dean, Bill Dean, Dangerous Freedom and the Ghosts We Know. Thanks so much. I look forward to seeing you around town or uh, having a craft beer as you write your column for the historian. Thank you so much, Donna. Thank you, Bill. Um, thanks to all of you who support Coast Community Radio, KMUN, and all of the wonderful organizations which make Astoria and the uh, Columbia Pacific area so very unique and special. Uh, Talk of Our Towns now airs the first Thursday of each month uh, from 9 to 9.30, and I express my deep gratitude to Nevada, for all the engineering with Zoom and also um, 
so much appreciation to local talented banjo instructor Michael Bruin for his original theme music for this program. Until next month. Well, actually, not. we meet every day to do this. How about right now? We just take a few seconds here of a moment to take a very deep healing breath. Let's just do this together right now. A deep breath is a signal to our bodies to relax. It's a very healing, healthy thing to do for ourselves in these very challenging times we're living in. And then when you take that deep breath, try to focus on the things that are going well in your life with gratitude. There will always be things that aren't going well, but focus on some of those with gratitude, those things that are giving you joy and bringing goodness into your world. And then give yourself a loving and compassionate hug or a pat on the back for being uniquely you, the only one for doing the best you can, for being here now in the now moment, the only moment that exists on the amazing planet we call Earth.